Good morning, Memphis. I'm Catherine Bush, part of the team of clergy at Calvary Episcopal Church in downtown Memphis. I'm born and bred in Memphis and a lifelong Episcopalian, and I am delighted to be the Faithfully Memphis host today, broadcasting from WYXR-FM in Memphis, and to be in conversation with Maggie Russell in just a bit. The first thing that I was going to talk to you about today, though, is our saint of the day, and that is maybe someone you're less familiar with. That is a woman named Tabitha, who lived in the first century in a town called Joppa. Tabitha has an alias name. She also sometimes goes by the name of Dorcas, depending on which language her story is being translated from, the Greek or whatever. And her claim to fame is that she was healed by Peter in a story that is told in the Acts of the Apostles. What's wonderful about Tabitha is that we remember her story. We celebrate her story in the Episcopal Church calendar in late October, And it's just a delightful thing to have the story of this otherwise relatively unknown woman who lived a quiet life in a quiet town a long, long time ago. And yet, when we read the story, we learn a couple of really important things about her very quickly. One is that Tabitha was a generous person. She gave of herself of the resources that she had, and she shared what she had with those around her. She was generous. We also know that Tabitha was a creative person. She made things. She made tunics. She wove clothing, and she um, was taught to be a seamstress, and presumably she taught others because she had this whole community of women around her who figured out how to make things that were useful, things that were also beautiful things that were practical, and things that were more. When Tabitha's story unfolds, she is lying at death's door, but her friends gather around, and they, when Peter comes, they show him the tunics that she made. They say, look at this. Look at these things that she made with her hands and celebrate her creativity and her resourcefulness. And that leads us to the third thing about Tabitha. She was a friend. She had friends. She was part of a circle, a community. We know that there were women in that community. Presumably there were men too and people of all ages, but her peers gathered around her in her time of need. They celebrated what she had done with her life, and they wanted more for her and from her. And that's when we meet her. As I said, she, um, she is healed by Peter, and brought back into the life of community. And stories of women in Scripture, we think of them as rare. There are actually a lot more stories of women in the Bible, named and unnamed, woven throughout our Scriptures. But one of the things that makes Tabitha's story unique is that her story is the only time the word disciple is used in the feminine form. She was called a disciple. She was a student. She was a learner. She was a follower of Christ. And her name is tied with this idea of being a woman who was a disciple. So as we think about this woman, this easily forgotten, easily ignored person who lived in a town 
long on the other side of the world, a town long ago, it's pretty cool that her story is still told 2,000 years later. And the story that is told is of a woman being resourceful, working with what was available to her, making things that were useful to her household and to her friends, taking ordinary tasks and making them extraordinary so that people said, look, look at what she made, look at what she did, and that her quiet little life mattered in those ways. And remembering somebody who was generous of heart and of spirit and of her resources, remembering someone who was a friend, and remembering someone who was creative and gave so much to those around her that they wanted more for, for her and from her in her life is worthwhile and a good story to remember today. Hi, Maggie. Hello. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. It's really nice to be having this conversation with you today. I know a little bit about you, and but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. We're going to be talking about your, your artistry and your artwork, but just about you, who you are. How would you introduce yourself to um, us? Yeah, so my name's Maggie. I grew up uh, kind of in two different places. I spent the, well, yeah, I spent the first seven years of my life here in Memphis, and then my family and I, my dad worked for Holiday Inn. We moved to... Atlanta, and then we moved back here when I was 13. And so I grew up out in Germantown, and my mom would, like, she would read the paper, and she'd be like, oh, I heard of this new place called the Young Avenue Deli. We should go there. <laughs> and she, we'd go on these little adventures to Midtown and to, into Memphis, and I just knew that that's where I belong from, like, probably about 13. And now I live in Cooper Young with my husband and my dog, and I work down the street from my house. And... I teach at Southwest as an adjunct professor, and I make art. I make portraits. So Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your artistic work, both maybe as a teacher, but also what you are producing as an artist. Yeah. So I just started teaching last semester in the spring semester, so I'm still kind of figuring that out. <laughs> Hope is to pass on like my passion to my students, or pass on a passion to my students. Even though they're business majors or, you know, they have lots of majors that are unrelated to art, I hope that they can find, like, creativity in those things and through my class. Right. So I love that. I love yeah. that idea of, like, we can we study all kinds of different things, but everybody still has a, a little bit of a creator. I think so. Yeah. I think we're all born. We're all born with it. And, I mean, if people look at their children, their children, you know, that's often the first thing that they do. Like, you know, one of the first things that they do is they pick up a crayon. And and even in the way, like, kids, like, are in school and they're starting to find their handwriting. Mm -hmm. You know, people have creative handwriting that's an expression of them. And so I think that it exists in us. And we just don't – it's about learning to give us ourselves, like, more credit for yeah creativity. Yeah. But so for my personal, for my art, I have been doing portraiture really for a long time. I, I was really became drawn to the figure in college. Mm -hmm. So I went to an undergrad school called Hendricks College. It's mm -hmm. in yeah. Arkansas. Conway, Arkansas. Yeah. yeah, so Conway, 
during that time, as an art major, one of my professors, his name is Matthew Lopas, urged me to apply to do this painting and drawing marathon in New York City. The school, Hendrix, had just started this Odyssey program, so they would give grants to students mm-hmm. if they applied for the grant to go do what they wanted to do. Yeah. And so I applied for this grant to go to this marathon in New York, and um, and that is where really the drawing thing became unlocked for me. And so I finished that summer semester, and I came back, and I started my senior thesis, and it became drawing. Lovely. And there's so much that I want to I want to ask about. Okay, so first of all, I love the word unlocked. And what happens in a drawing marathon? Like <laughs> what? Like I'm like I know what a New York marathon is, where they're running 26.2 miles. What 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 did you do? What was so? I would wake up in the morning and take the train to this class, and we would there there would be models in there, in this at the start of the day, and we would just get to work drawing. And this professor. His name was Joe Santori. He would walk around and give us individualized instruction. And also he did break it down. Like he gave us these like essential tools like to learn how to to see instead of just looking. So like mm. like if you're looking at something like a, a figure, there's all kinds of shapes and shadows and planes in a body. And, and he helped us to sort of break that down and see things that way. And we would draw, draw, draw from the morning until about like 5.30 in the evening. We would take a lunch break. We'd take breaks. <laughs> but And then we'd have critique, and the critique would sometimes last, you know, well into the evening. Wow. So, so a real marathon. I mean, just like hours and hours. <laughs> Monday through Friday. Wow. So. That's amazing. Oh, okay. We'll come back to, to seeing and looking. So then you went, you went back to school. You went back to, came back to Arkansas. Focused on the figure, focused on... Yeah, so I've, I focused on that. I graduated. I I eventually mm-hmm. went on to study to get my master's degree here at the Memphis College of Art. Uh-huh. And I graduated from the Memphis College of Art in 2011. And there was a window of time from 2011 to 2013 where I was very aimless and I didn't know what to do with my life. And, and I also was drinking a lot and hiding from the world a lot and Mm -hmm. hiding from whatever my calling. I didn't know what my calling was, but I was hiding from my calling. I hit a very, very dark bottom Mm -hmm. in 2013. And at that time, my attention was drawn to merely surviving. Right. And to survive, I, my parents helped me get an art studio in Cooper Young, and through that art studio, I found my way to making art full-time. And my parents supported me for a while. Right, um, right. But it was about 18 months that they supported me mm-hmm. while I got my feet back underneath me. And so, yeah. That was I really appreciate, too, as we were saying, like the celebrating the story and the narrative of having those supports. Yeah. And, you know, that... I was a I was a poetry major in college. Oh, I love that. And and there we had all these conversations, right, with my with my folks who were supportive. I mean, they they raised me to read poetry. They introduced me mm-hmm. to all of the things that I love in life. And then there's this moment of is that a practical degree? You know, yeah. and so to to find out how to 
to use our gifts, how they might career paths, or how they just may be sustaining practices for us. I really appreciate hearing that, that story of people coming around you and celebrating and supporting you as you created yeah. this life. And along the way, you know, or, you know, particularly in the beginning of this experience, you know, I ended up at this place called, called the Art Factory. It's in Cooper Young. And there are a lot of other artists that rent studios out there. And in particular, I met my good now good friend, Britt McDaniel, and she's, she's a potter. And um, she had just begun her business, and she had just taken out she just done a GoFundMe, and she had. She is just a go-getter, and so I would. I've been able to watch her grow, and see that it's possible. Mm -hmm. And then also through the art factory, meet all of these different people who are using their creativity in different ways. Yeah. Um, so, and it just speaks to how important that whatever the work is that we're doing, and I think you're right that all of our work is is potentially creative. The, the myth of being able to do it alone, the myth that we can figure it out by ourselves, and just hearing these threads in your story about how the community, how other people in your life walking beside you or just near you have yeah. been part of how you put your story together. Yeah. I think being in art school and, like, thinking about this marathon and... I guess just a whole lot of things. You know, my parents are sharers. They're storytellers. I've met, met a lot of people who have been open with themselves. And, but I will say just specifically about being in art school, it's like you are in this environment and like you're seeing other people's creativity like bloom and flourish. And, and that in turn, that's inspiring. Like that, it's like this big, it's, all circulating together, right, you know, right. it's feeding. It's, it's yeah. 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 So, so what other kind of things kind of feed your creativity? So seeing other people exercising their gifts, what else when you, as you kind of go through. So in a like day, present what's... daily life, yeah. things that inspire my creativity are mostly found in silence, which I think kind of goes against like, but maybe, you know, it's, it's like the world is there's all sorts of information to get, right. you know, on a daily basis. So and, much input. Just, yeah. Right. Like, and so to take, to have a time to take that and to go and be quiet and, you know, I try to meditate walking, you know, sometimes like I'll get in this situation, like my, my headphones will be dead and I'll have to go <laughs> on a quiet walk, you know, mm -hmm. and it's being in that place of silence, like, makes me more receptive to what is right. available. Yeah. I so appreciate that. I'm a walker as well. And there's, there's a great Billy Collins poem about walking, but it, it, and it references this Latin line that's Salvatore Ambulando. It is solved by walking that yeah. whatever the question is, whether it's what I should have for dinner or what should I do with my life or what does this mean or what is going on, you know, that, I can, and it's it not like a not like a magic trick, but there's something about moving throughout the world in quiet, I think, you know, and I definitely, you know, I like to walk with music, I like to walk and listen to a podcast, but sometimes I need to just let it all sort. Yeah, totally. And, and there's something about walking that, to me, also equates to continuing, you know? Mm, right, and yeah. And continuing is such an essence. Of, like it's such a essential part of just like if we stop 
<laughs> then there's never going to be a solution or a conclusion or right. we're never going to reach. That's a really beautiful idea. I mean, I mean, we kind of, I mean, I think the, you know, the kind of everyday phrase is we'll put one foot in front of the other, just keep going. But there is that sense of, of continuing of movement, of forwardness into whatever. Or sometimes it's turning around and going back the other way again. But I think that that, like, that strikes me the way that you're describing of a continuing, not quitting, not Mm-hmm. stopping well there are a lot of times like like thinking about any discipline that's like good for good for the soul like meditating which which i try to do daily i don't always feel like doing that right and i think as an artist you know growing up we are told as artists that we are supposed to be guided by our feelings mm-hmm. and i think feelings are great indicators of maybe like where to look for solutions mm-hmm. where to look for maybe what's going on but like but sometimes feelings can be so overwhelming that like there's yeah there's it's hard n- to process yeah ahead. and yeah so so to just walk even though you don't feel like walking or meditate even though you don't feel like walking or show up to the studio even though you don't feel like showing up to the studio it's like answers are on the other side of those things. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think, I mean, in my world, we w- I would think about what comes to mind is this idea of like the tension between discipline and inspiration. Yeah. So like there are spiritual disciplines and they're called that because it's like brushing your teeth. Like you just have to do it every day, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, if, and, and some days, you know, not much, some days something amazing. But if I were to wait around until I felt like praying mm-hmm. or till I was inspired to write the thing that needs to be written, you know, like that's a really sketchy way. I mean, like that just feels really uncertain and not, yeah. re- and, and again, there's this kind of, I think there is a tension or a, a, a balancing that's necessary between I'm just going to walk out the front door with my shoes on. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm just going to open up the page on my computer and I'm going to start typing. I'm going to get out my notebook and start writing even though I don't feel like I'm inspired. And that's like, that's, I think, like, it reminds me, have you heard of the book The War of Art before? I have not. I don't know that one. It's written by the guy who wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. No. Is it uh, Bagger or Badger? Yeah, uh, the movie, yeah, right. So The War of Art is a flip of The Art of War. Um, Yes, which I've never read. I haven't read it either, but I have heard of that one, but I haven't heard the one you're talking about. Okay, so he's like, basically he says like every day he shows up in his, writer's studio at his desk you know regardless of whether or not he feels like he has something important to say or not he brings himself there and he makes himself available for whatever is going to happen right and that is exciting yeah yeah and it's it's encouraging too i mean i think about that in terms of like whether or not feel like people feel like going to worship with their faith community or showing up for this you know and but the the putting yourself into the place where whatever might happen might happen, right? And some days not much happens is part of it, but some, but nothing happens if you don't show up, right? Mm-hmm. So the and you and and being open to I might hear a story in a new way, I might see something in a new way. I love what you were saying earlier about being taught the difference between seeing and looking. Mm-hmm. And it's it seems similar to me this like intentional like I'm gonna I'm gonna go and and see in this particular way I'm gonna put myself in the studio I'm gonna pick up the pe- you know yeah yeah I mean there's more open mind like 
there's more room for something to happen. Mm-hmm. Like if you're just making yourself available for right. whatever is. Yeah. This literature that is very important to me, this this book that I go back, not The War of Art, another book that I go, it's a book that I go back to again and again. It says, God is either everything or he is nothing. Mm. What is mm-hmm. your choice to be? And if God is everything, then that like lets us off the hook for quite a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. It lets us off the hook for our for everything. Right. I mean, and I don't mean that in an irresponsible way. I mean like right. we're still on the hook, but it's like it's like we're not in char- in charge of right. the outcome. Like we have intention like mm-hmm. um, we're not in charge of the outcome. Right. Yeah. And there is a, a, a freedom, I think, especially for people who may have heard the message that it is all on you. You're carrying it. You're, you know, you have to single-handedly create and do and solve and, and all that. It's it's incredibly freeing to hear, okay, I'm going to be a vehicle, a vessel, you know. Yeah. And and again, I think there's a, a place of, of balancing, like, not to be completely passive, because mm-hmm, you do have mm-hmm. to get yourself to the studio. You do have to have the paint. You do have to do something with yes, it. Yes, like there's like there's wisdom, but it or there is there are tools, there are th- things that are available to us that that are like obvious solutions, decisions, you know, obvious things that we should do. And and like we have codes built into us that tell us like you know that this is the right thing to do right. and stuff like that. But a lot of it is up to the divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that so much, and that, and it sounds it's it's a similar conversation that I have with my with myself and with other folks about like, oh, I don't I don't know what to pray. Well, then just sit in the chair and see what if you don't have anything to say to God, what does God have to say to you? Yeah. Right? Like, it's not on you. You don't yeah. have to. I mean, sometimes I have things to pray about, but sometimes a lot more often I probably just need to like sit down and be quiet. Yeah. And listen the same way that you're saying to look or to see. I mean, it's that it's very like I have to in a different way. Am I hearing or listening? There's something so reassuring too about prayer and like knowing that like all we do have to do is just sit down, right? You know, and like it's so reassuring. I will be, you know, we don't. It's so hard to know ourselves, you know. And there's so many messages in the world that make it even more confusing. But like, it's so reassuring to know that like everything about me is already known by my higher power. Right. Absolutely. I think that that's so true. And I think that the sense of, I don't know how to, how to name that, like just, it's back to the, just showing up, just putting one foot in front of the other that I, it's not for me to determine. So, yeah. Okay. So one of the things that it's related, I think to creative process and to, to your work. And I love how it just, is so integrated into your your ideas about spirituality. So one of my one of the places of where my spirituality develops is in a practice of looking for there's a Muslim mystic poet Rumi who says every moment a new beauty. And this idea and it's become a breathing mantra for me, every moment a new beauty. And lots of things are beautiful and that, and lots of things are beautiful in easy ways and then lots of things it's really hard to see the beauty yeah. in them in the world that's so broken and so torn up and all of that kind of thing so i wonder when you think about beauty what what of your what of your work what of the world around you what of other people what comes to mind when you think about beauty i think that it's available everywhere mm, mm-hmm. and so 
that's like my primary way of understanding the world. Okay. Is there, well, you know, I think beauty, actually, I say that's my primary way of, my primary way of understanding the, understanding things is through looking. Okay. Or through seeing. Mm-hmm. And so I. So can, visually beautiful, just yeah, like looking vis- around it. Yeah. Yeah. So. When I'm, like, walking through the parking lot, you know, there can be, at Kroger, I can look down and see an oil spot and mm-hmm. think, like, that is beautiful. Right. What I know for me, when and it's how this creative work and this spirituality are tied together, is that I, I think of beauty as evidence of God. Okay. I think that God is profoundly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I also know that it's it's a vulnerable place to be in to believe that in a way. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a song called All This Beauty mm-hmm. by the Weepies. And they and there's some lines in there that say, there's no breadcrumb trail to follow through your day. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, you know, like it's not that easy. And then it says, let me just say, you get what you take from it. So be amazed and never stop. You got to be brave. And this mm-hmm. idea that it takes some kind of courage and bravery to expect beauty, mm-hmm. to look for beauty, to to believe in beauty, mm-hmm. especially when there's there's a lot of voices and forces that would say, no, it's all ugly, it's all broken, it's all you know. Yeah. So I don't. I'm somewhere in there. There's there's a question. I hope, but just this yeah. idea of it's a brave way of walking through the world. I think yeah. to be looking for beauty or listening for beauty or yeah. whatever our primary yeah, for sense sure of, yeah. for sure. So yeah, I mean. I have a friend who says, and, and and this is not my default. I will say that my default, because of some deep things going on, my default is to look for what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And Right. Um, I think a lot of us, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I look for what's wrong and this is going to help me survive, you know? Yes. And But really, I, I have a friend that says, look for what is right mm-hmm. and... There are so many rewards there and there are so many things to be seen when you're looking for what is right. And I think that our society, we do look for what is wrong. And I think that there, when we see what is wrong, oftentimes that leads to, you know, justice and that leads to great motivations to do, to make changes. But also like, you know, if we're looking for what is right as well, I think that that is, shows us where like this is not heaven. We are not in heaven, <laughs> but we can right. have glimpses of heaven yeah. through looking for what is right. And God gives us glimpses of heaven. I think on like I'm looking out the window right now, and the leaves are just golden yellow on the top, and the light mm-hmm. is shining on them in, in in such a sweet way. And there's this book that um, I read a long time ago, and in the book, the author says like God knows our love language. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so if there's something that we see or hear or experience in life and it touches us in our hearts, that was directly, we can believe and trust that that was like directly from God for us. Mm. Because lovely. it might not, the tree, light on the tree might not speak to you the same way it speaks right. to me. Or right. the, a poem that you mm. love might not speak to you, right. speak to me the same way it speaks to mm-hmm. you. I do think that's, it's really, it's wonderful. And it speaks to me too, to the kind of like the infinite possibility of the ways that God does, it does mm-hmm. speak and reach out, you know, and like you're saying, like, I think that tree is particularly lo- lovely <laughs> as well. And that looking for beauty 
we're a diverse and crazy wild, you know, humanity. And we need a lot of different ways mm -hmm. to experience that and to, to be touched, to be moved, to, to notice something. Yeah. And I, I think that like you were saying, we need to see what is an error and what is wrong because it needs to be fixed. And we have a call to do that. And it's not to say that I'm just going to like bury my head in the sand and la, mm -hmm. la, 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 mm -hmm. this is my favorite song. And this is so pretty. And I'm, you know, but that we have to be encouraged yeah, and, and really encouraged as, you know, like to take heart to like, that's what the word encourage means to, to how we have to have something mm -hmm. that inspires us as much as something that kind of motivate, you know, it's yeah. a different kind of way of, well, it's, it's both and right. Yes. You know, yeah. which I, I love, I can, I have a, my therapist pointed yeah. me to that, yes. you know, being able to Take the whole, the yeah, whole this and in. that, mm -hmm. right? Not this, but that, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I think that's a super helpful way of of living in the world. So we've, when I mean, we've we've talked all around, kind of how individual spiritual practices are related to some of your art, but I wonder if there's more that you would say about at this particular moment in your life. We have childhood experiences of mm -hmm. religion and spirituality and God, and adolescent experiences, yeah. And now where you are now, what is, what is, what practices or what is, what is meaningful to you in terms of feeding your spiritual life? Yeah. So I will say that this is like just a continual, like it's, I'm, I just continue. I continue. So there are moments where I feel like all the pieces seem to be in place. And then there are moments where the pieces feel out of place. And when the moments, when the pieces feel out of place, that is, and I feel stressed and uneasy that points me back to what I know my solutions are mm -hmm. and my solutions are 12 step recovery, mm -hmm. prayer and meditation. And for me, prayer looks like just having a conversation with God, no nothing like, you know, I used to think it was very formal, but it's just, right. just talking to God and trying to work with others. I have a friend from my recovery program who I talk to daily mm -hmm. and, um, talking to her about what's going on in her life as opposed to like what's going on in my life. And that takes kind of the attention off of myself uh -huh. and gets me outside of myself. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Those are such great, clear practices and tools. And I appreciate the, like the everydayness of them. I think that sometimes we can get this idea that, Oh, I have to go to this special place or I have to go on a pilgrimage across the ocean or yeah. I have to do this hard thing. And not that those things actually aren't difficult, like to put other people's first, to put other people first is, is really hard. And to, to have a, a practice of any sort of meditation and prayer is, is hard, but it's not necessarily dramatic. No, no. Yeah. And so the kind of like the ordinary things, and I, and I love what you said that, you know, what works, you know, what your solutions are, mm -hmm. right? Like we have these, like we're little puzzles and yeah. we figured out, you know, this is how this equation balances. This is the solution to this mm -hmm. problem. And so I, I know that. And if I, <laughs> I can use that and rely on that and it's helpful. So I will like mention again, like, so you said the puzzle and, and I, and reminded me when, I, but when I said the puzzle, but anyway, so 12, 12 step recovery for me is like a, just the puzzle has been given to me, mm, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't have to figure anything out. It's like, there are these steps available to me and, you know, it, in addition to, you know, prayer and meditation and, and talking to other people and, and going to, to meetings, you know, there's this 
thing that was granted to me through doing that work, like I had to look at a lot of things that were within me that were blocking me from connection to a higher power. And I had to move those things out of the way. And I had to present them to God, basically, like present them to my higher power and say like, ooh, these are my nasty character defects. These are the things, the unflattering things. I am powerless over my behavior. I'm powerless over my thoughts over these things, you know, and really just like turn those things over to a higher power. And those things kind of eventually became cleared away and made room for this connection to a higher power Mm. and gave me the ability to like be a little bit more self-reflective. But like the, the thing is, is like, if I don't continue to do that, like continue to ask myself at the end of the day, like, was I selfish? Was I inconsiderate? Was I dishonest? Like if I don't ask myself those things, they will build back up. Because it takes the daily discipline. It takes mm-hmm. the the practice of that. And I, it's, it's while well, I'm listening to you thinking about like how these threads in our conversation keep coming back, we were talking about walking and then the metaphor of 12 steps is steps. Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. literally like <laughs> mm-hmm. steps in front of, you know, to continue to keep moving, you know, and how all of those kind of things really do thread together and then can create enough space they don't solve everything it's not magic but to create enough space that then you can live a fruitful and productive life yeah. that you can create art that you can have a family that you can yeah. live in the world in such a way that you're able to to contribute and to yeah. give so i'd love to go back to a little bit back to your your art and your artwork yeah and to think some about what it means to be a portraitist. Yeah. To me, that seems like the hardest way to be an artist because <laughs> people look a certain way mm-hmm. and you're trying to capture that. Yeah. Um, not, I mean, I can, I feel it's like easier to, to fudge on a tree maybe than a, <laughs> than a human, but I'm interested, so interested in your, in your, in that as your work. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really know why. Like, I think I have guesses as to why I do portraiture. I wonder if, you know, when I was a very little girl, I would go through coloring books and I Mm. would just color the faces Uh and I would like give them makeup and all sorts of Mm. little exciting adornments, you know, and, and also, you know, I was born with facial paralysis and it's a condition called Mobius syndrome. It's Mm -hmm. a neurological disorder and it causes either full or partial facial paralysis. And I have partial facial paralysis and some of my earliest memories are being told my attention was drawn to my facial differences right and so I wonder if I became fascinated with faces because I was just sorting that out yeah 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 Um, but also I think that there's a layer of I grew up in a I think I think a lot of people in my generation we were not told that we could just say all of our feelings Mm -hmm. you know and I felt like I had a lot of them and in portraiture, I feel like there are, f- that you can convey a lot of emotion in a portrait. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that. Because there's so much more. It's not just eyes and noses. It's it's who, it's identity mm-hmm. and, and feelings, like you're saying. That's really. And also, like, this idea of being, like, imperfect and, like, ha- having permission to be imperfect is, like, very liberating to me. And. Somewhere along the way, I got this impression that I had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And in doing this portraiture, I'm able to look at other people and their kind of their quirks and their idiosyncra- 
idiosyncrasies. Idiosyncrasies. Yeah. (laughs) And like see how lovely those things are Mm. and perfect those things are. And I like them. And then also like I do children's portraiture and the parents are like, Yes, I love this thing about my kid. Right, like, right. I love their snarkiness, you yeah. know? And I never felt like I was allowed to be snarky uh-huh. as a kid. Right. So celebrating that, then it's, meaning, it's clearly a meaningful gift in your art, but it's also like a meaningful practice, like you're saying. Like, this is rewiring mm-hmm. your own thought processes and our own thought process to say, oh, this is what makes yeah. this person unique and lovely. Yeah. Same for me. Yeah. 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 Well, and it reminds me, too, I know that... There's a Velveteen Rabbit quotation mm-hmm. that is important to you that for this who it's been a long time since I read the Velveteen Rabbit goes like this. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. And that just captures so much of what I appreciate hearing from you about your artistic practice and your life story of like, yeah, it's, it's, there's rough edges, and you, but we have to live through all of that to get to be real and beautiful yeah. and, and to see that in the world. Yeah, and I feel like our higher powers... God, I feel like understands all of our realness, mm-hmm. like right. across the board. Yeah, and like as long as we're real and accepted, like, and like I know, I know, even though I don't know all of myself yet, I'm mm-hmm. still becoming real. Mm-hmm. Like I know that my higher power already knows, like all of the intricacies of like what I am. Right, and that's like so reassuring and comforting, like on this journey of becoming real, like. Right. It is such a comfort. It's such a beautiful idea that we, as we are knowing, as we come to know ourselves more fully, that we are already mm-hmm. known mm-hmm. and it's all okay. Yeah. It's, it's already okay. It's already okay. Because this is not, this is not heaven. We're here, to, <laughs> we're here to grow, yeah. you know, yeah. and like deepen mm-hmm. our relationships with each other. Right. And, but that I feel like, in my experience, and this is my experience, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know that everyone has to experience it this way, but, like, the only way that I'm able to deepen my relationships with other people is by deepening my relationship with my higher power. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's it's interesting, too. I was having a conversation not too long ago with folks about the afterlife, as one does, mm-hmm. I guess, sometimes. And I'm very clear that I do not know what happens. Mm-hmm. I have hope but I haven't been there and I don't know. So when you're saying like, this is not heaven, this is not, you know, this is not it. What I know is this, is this world. And like we were talking about, like, so that there are glimpses, that there is room, that there is work to do that needs to be done Mm -hmm. because this is not heaven. And I can, I can wonder about what's next all day long, but I know that today I'm here in this place with these people having this conversation and this is, this is what I have to work with. And yeah. so this is, this is the opportunity for, to be real and to be present in that way. Yeah. So. Yeah. And to, I guess, like, to just hold on to that thread to the mm-hmm. other side and, and, and maybe allow that to shine through you to other people. And um, hopefully on a good day, a little bit of that happens. I think it, I think it might yeah, not in yeah, all of us. So. In all of us. So. 
So, Maggie, we've talked a lot about beauty and practice and being creative people in the world. What is giving you hope these days? Oh, what is giving me hope? I love, I love fall and Mm -hmm. any changing of season and and seeing seasons change reminds me that we change, and that is to me so beautiful and reassuring. And it it just reminds me of changing myself. Right. So. Yeah, that's lovely, and it is all around us. This is the best of times, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and watching the leaves and the and the and the temperature break and all of that is so lovely. So I appreciate mm-hmm. hearing that, and that it is a reminder of so much more that is unfolding. Mm-hmm. What about you? Oh, what is giving me hope? Um, getting to have real conversations with people like mm-hmm. you, where we get to talk about things that matter, and cooler mornings yeah. give me hope. A lot of things are possible when when the weather breaks, mm-hmm. and and I think knowing that people are out there that who are choosing not to despair, but are mm-hmm. choosing like you. Yeah. Like I love the word of to continue, to carry on, to get up, to try again to do their little, make their little contribution in their little corner of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And that looks like a lot of different things, but that gives me hope. Corner of the kingdom. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Our little corners of the kingdom where we, where we hang out. So yeah, that's all we've got is our little corner to work on. So yeah, cool. we're not in charge of the, all of it, which is really, which is more good news, right? That God is, God has got everything. I've, I've got this little piece. And then like, yeah. And then we all have our little piece. And it's like the piece that we are given, like is like is made for us. And so it's right. like if we're following those, if, if we're following that, the puzzle comes together in a, a nice cohesive way. But yeah, you know, yeah, it does. It's lovely. Yeah. Well, thank you for the conversation and for your candor and your delightful insights into ways of being and looking around this world. Thank you for your insightful questions. <laughs> Our conversation today has been wide-ranging, and I give thanks for your listening and for Maggie's candor. If you're wondering about exploring recovery, the Episcopal Church in West Tennessee is offering a recovery retreat November 4th and 5th. You can also find another podcast in this series titled Love Heals that takes a deeper dive into the recovery process. Links to these resources can be found in the show notes or at edwtn.org. Also, if you find that you are in crisis and are looking for a lifeline, call 988 to be connected with real people who can provide free and confidential help and supportive resources. My name is Catherine Bush, and thanks for listening to Faithfully Memphis, a podcast from the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. We invite you to share our show from today with a friend who might not have heard it. And if you like our show, please leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. This really, really makes a difference to us, so we appreciate it. You can learn more about the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee, including finding a church in our diocese, at our website at edwtn.org. And we're also active on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Thank you.